Welcome to the Touchdown Wire Week 8 NFL Matchup Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. I'm Doug Farrar, uh, editor of Touchdown Wire. And this week, Mark and I go through all the Week 8 NFL matchups, starting with Thursday Night Football, Falcons, and Panthers. And we discuss a few potentially interesting trades before the NFL's November 3rd trade deadline. I'm going to go off the grid here for a second and say that November 3rd is also Election Day. If you have not voted, please do. Please vote in person. Please vote with your heart. And with that, we're on back to football with the Touchdown Wire Week 8 NFL Matchup Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Week 8 NFL Matchup Podcast for Touchdown Wire. This is Doug Farrar, along with Mark Schofield, as always. And Mark, we're ready to watch uh, Ben DiNucci tape and, and talk about him for an hour. No, we're not. Uh, we could. What's interesting is we don't have a lot of even college tape to work through. He threw like 160 passes in college, yeah. most of which were at James Madison. So if the listeners want us to walk through some FCS tape for an hour, I guess we could find a way to do that. We could do that. You know, but yeah. we're, we're, we're here for our viewers and our listeners and our readers, and we do what we got to do. So, uh, Mark, this is the last podcast we'll do before something happens next Tuesday that's extremely important. And, of course, we're talking about the trade deadline, um, if we're all still alive by then. I wanted to throw, before we get into the matchups of the week, I wanted to throw a few trade ideas at you, see what you think. Feel free to tell me that I'm completely insane. The Seahawks traded for Carlos Dunlap, which I think is a great move. People say, oh, he only had one sack. And like, are we still talking sack numbers? Really? No. He's better than you think. No. I also would suggest that since the Cowboys are in full fire sale mode, they uh, go get Alden Smith. Longtime Seahawks killer back with the 49ers. Fits the profile perfectly. Had some personal issues. Um, the redemptive, you know, Pete Carroll thing. I think that's a natural fit. I think that's a great fit. I do love that. I do think Dallas has become sellers rather quickly. Um, so you might as well go get what you can from them. And you can, it's like pitching in baseball. You can never have enough pass rush in today's National Football League. And, you know, there's a hidden sort of storyline to the start of the season right now, which is the Seahawks defense isn't that good right now. And you, they've allowed the most points through six games of any team in NFL history. Yeah. You think back to that week two game between Seattle and New England, and this happens so often in NFL media where we react and sometimes overreact to the wrong story. Because in the aftermath of that game, the story was, wow, the Patriots could throw the ball. I mean, they threw the ball. They threw themselves back into that game. They've got a vertical passing attack. We've seen what their passing game really is. And so I think the real story out of that week two game was Seattle's defense isn't that good. So – Get an Alden Smith, added him to, you know, the newly acquired Carlos Dunlap. Could never have enough pass rushing. I'd be a huge fan of that for Seattle. I think the Vikings are one more Kirk Cousins, three interceptions in the first half, came away from being sellers if they're not already. Ngakwe um, to the Ravens, which we both love. I would suggest that uh, Derek Carr, A, is a top five to seven quarterback in the NFL right now. Deep passing game has dramatically improved. Uh, I would say that the Raiders' defense is horrible, and they should go get Anthony Harris. Yeah, I think uh, I would. He's on a one-year deal, and they're not going to re-sign him. They're not going to re-sign him. Look, we are on the cusp of, or if not already in, rebuild mode time in Minnesota. The problem is you have a big anchor in that Kirk Cousins contract, which you're going to have to ride out. We talked about that last week. And so, At least next year they have no – they've just got to deal with it. 
Yeah, they just they, they just have to deal with that, so they have to make money other ways. And you're not going to resign Anthony Harris. I wondered if they move Harrison Smith too. Yeah. You know, if you look at the way their contracts are constructed, two of their biggest cost saving means are those two safeties. And you know, deal both your safeties when you're in cornerback purgatory. Right. Yeah. I mean. They've really – and it's amazing because we thought that they had such a good draft, right? And Justin Jefferson looks legit, but they got oh, the guys legit. Yeah. Jeff Gladney and all that stuff, Cameron Dantzler. Now you get these two young corners, and you won't be able to bring those safeties back because you have to save money because you've tied yourself to Kirk Cousins. And like you said, we're, we're three interceptions away from seeing what Nate Stanley offers as the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. So, mm-hmm. yeah. From the Raiders' perspective, yeah, go get Anthony Harris. Uh, Jets are obviously, well, they're the Jets. Uh, Quinn and Williams to the Panthers. The Panthers last year had one of the worst run defenses of the last decade. It's not much better. Quinnen, although I didn't like him as much as a lot of people did, I think I put, um, I think he was my third defensive tackle. Ed Oliver was one. Dexter Lawrence was two. Quinnen was three. I didn't see dominant traits. I think he's actually been better in the NFL, and he's been better – in a Greg Williams defense, which seems strange. Uh, you, you, the Panthers are contenders, and we're going to talk about that Joe Brady offense because they're playing tonight against the Falcons. We're taping this Thursday morning. Um, I think you get Quinnen or some other big, huge guy in the middle of the, the defensive line for the Panthers, and that would certainly help. Imagine Quinnen Williams next to Derek Brown for the next five years. Hot damn. Yeah. And look, Brian Burns is becoming a very nice guy off the edge. So now you've got those two guys that are going to eat up double teams on the inside, freed up Brian Burns for some one-on-one opportunities off the edge. That sounds pretty good to me, Doug. I'd like to apologize on behalf of Touchdown Wire uh, to two players we have not talked about enough this year. Brian Burns is one. J.R. Alexander is another. Um, He's so, been so fantastic. We'll get to that. Uh, the Titans, another team that uh, really nice offense, defense, ugh, no pass rush and slow corners, bad combination. So I would suggest you might not be able to get a Stephon Gilmore or something like that, but maybe you get Ryan Kerrigan and pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah, you might be able to get Kerrigan. I do think that's a fit, but I think you might get an opportunity at Stephon Gilmore. Um, because we are one week to save the season for the New England Patriots. And while the conditions might be in their favor on Sunday, we're hearing weather, we're hearing rain, we're hearing 40-mile-an-hour winds, which plays to a ground game, which is New England's one strength on offense right now, That they have a lot to fix in a short period of time against the Buffalo team that is still pretty good. I mean, maybe it's not the defense we expected to see from them. And, yes, Josh Allen has become more like the Josh Allen we all know and love than the guy we saw at the start of the year. New England's in trouble. And when you wake up on a Tuesday morning and you hear Greg Hill up on WEI up in New England saying that Stephon Gilmore's house is now on the market, Spidey senses tingle. And, you know, New England fans, we're used to the old real estate transactions way of covering teams. We saw this last year with Tom Brady's house. So you might be able to get Stephon Gilmore. They do need help. Kerrigan would be great. I think Gilmore would be fantastic for them. Well, you're not going to like where I have Gilmore going, um, and I know you saw my notes. Uh, this is Lawyer Malloy Part Two. Uh, Tredavious White not playing well, back injury. Guys like Levi Wallace haven't really – I think maybe you get Gilmore back to the Bills. I mean, we don't see a ton of <laughs> – that's the Ducks. We don't see a ton of – Everyone inter- in New England descends on Seattle and just – Right. I mean, 
if you could get a first from Buffalo for Stephon Gilmore, I think you have to accept that, that you know. Because I, think that's a, I think that's a win-win. If they lose this game, the division's gone. So what's the chance of what's the reason? What's the reason for chasing the ghost at that point? Yeah. So take a first. Now you've got two. If they lose this game, you're inside the top ten yep. with your own first rounder. You know, a late first rounder, which Buffalo will probably give you. Early first rounder, can that get you to two? Can that get you to three? Maybe. Could that get you to Justin Fields? Perhaps. I think you do it if you're New England. It might anger fans, but when you get Justin Fields in exchange for that, you'll calm down. Yeah, because, well, we'll get to Cam in a minute. I know you, you did a great 10-minute uh, film breakdown that I want to talk about, about Cam and what his issues are. Uh, a few lightning round ones here. I have Texans wide receiver, uh, either Kenny Stills or Will Fuller to the Browns. Yeah, you got to move one of those guys. You've got to move everybody not named Deshaun Watson at this point. Yeah. Um, JJ Watt might go somewhere. <laughs> Here's another one that's going to really piss off people at the divisional Adam Thielen to the Packers. Man, Yee-haw! Doug's just taking torches to some bridges this morning, but yes, I am. It, it's fire sale time in Minnesota. Yes, imagine Thielen in that offense because who do you double? Who, Thielen's a tremendous route runner. Devontae Adams, his release game against Houston last weekend was just unfair. Well, it doesn't help if you're playing uh, neither man nor zone against Devontae Adams. Right. If you're playing catch-man technique and you never even try to get a hand on him. Is that good, Doug? Yeah. Best best relief, best receiver off press in the NFL. Uh, maybe go with a different strategy, but whatever. Even in Green Bay, though, would be fantastic. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just here to help. So here's what, I'm, here's what I want to see. I want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Bears. Give them an actual quarterback for the first time since 1943. Chicago, if you're a team that needs help, I know we talked about this if you're New England, you're calling Miami to see what you can, you know, have to give up for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he would be great in Chicago. I think if you're Miami, you don't make that move, though. I, I think no. you hold on to him because you're in the mix of a playoff hunt right now. I mean, you're 3-3, three and three, and Tua, you hope for the best for him, but he might get hurt. You might struggle. You might have to go back to Fitzpatrick. Unless somebody's willing to give you like a first for Ryan Fitzpatrick for well, a short. Well, it's not going to be a first, but. Well, let's, I mean, let's look at what Tua has. He's got the Rams on Sunday. He's got the Cardinals and their 065 package, which, by the way, you called beautifully. Uh, this is a defense that confused Russell Wilson. What's it going to do to Tua? Then you got the Chargers, underrated defense. You got the Broncos, underrated defense. Then you got the Jets and the Bengals. But Tua's facing, if not a murderer's row, at least, uh, you know, they can cause some mayhem for that kid. So I don't know that, you know, Brian Flores is a smart guy. That, that, that front office is good. And they are in playoff contention. They could they could pick up that seventh spot in the AFC. I just think you know. But at the same time, the Bears, the Bears are in trouble, and they have to know it. At that yeah. position. So if you're a Chicago or Dallas or New England or a team that's struggling a quarterback right now, you absolutely are making those phone calls. But I would just be surprised that Miami would be willing to part with them. But maybe. Although maybe, uh, I don't know. I, well, Bill O'Brien's not there anymore, but you know, it's Sean Watson for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is Bill could break into the building and, like, do one last trade. That would be incredible. That would be incredible. Okay, uh, Thursday Night Football. 
Falcons at Panthers and his unnecessary touchdown aside, Todd Gurley and we're all, we're all just going to make fun of him for the rest of the season. Poor guy. Yeah. Having a bit of a revival season. And as I mentioned, Carolina's run defense, not good at all. This, this could be a problem for them. And if you're the Falcons, you want to keep that ball as long as you can, because your defense stinks. That's bad. It's a bad defense, and you're seeing breakdowns in the secondary. I, th- I think Joe Brady is going to design some things to confuse some players. Teddy Bridgewater is playing underrated football. I think he's playing at a really high level. He took a bad sack at the end of that game um, against New Orleans, but aside from that, I think he's playing really well. Gurley's fit in that offense, I think, is part of the biggest stories uh, for Atlanta this year because he fits so well, and we should have expected that, right? The outside zone, wide zone game, it's such a good fit for him. And it's unfortunately he had that poor mistake. You know, you see him start to realize what's happening. It's like seeing the slow motion train wreck. But his fit in that offense is perfect, and it, it's good to see for him. But I think Atlanta is still in trouble tonight. And well, this could be a bit of a shootout. Um, the Panthers playing the third most zone defense behind the Browns and the Seahawks this year. Seahawks and Browns. Seahawks are the most. Browns are the second most. Fal- or Panthers are the third most. Falcons receivers, particularly Julio and Calvin Ridley, have been zone killers this season. So you could get some crossers and some combos. And then to flip the script, um, talk to me about, I mean, and it's against a really bad defense. Just kind of summarize what Joe Brady's offensive concepts have been because we were all sort of, of course, talking about this guy coming out of LSU. Hey, now he's with Matt Rule. Um, What are some of the just – tentpole characteristics of Joe Brady's offense for people who haven't really seen it and might be seeing it for the first time tonight. I mean, it's an interesting blend of vertical concepts with West Coast designs. Um, and I think obviously that, that sounds like Andy Reid. Sounds like Andy Reid, doesn't it? It certainly sounds like some of what Sean Payton has done at times as well, obviously where Joe Brady got sort of his NFL start. I think what's interesting to watch is one of the things we all talked about was at LSU, so many five receiver concepts, so many five man protections. They're finding ways to get into that, albeit with still helping in protection. One of the big plays from that game against the Orleans was that deep post route where it was a busted coverage. And yes, the Saints have safety problems right now. They but, have secondary problems in total. Yeah. No one's playing really well there. On that play, you have both the running back and the tight end chipping before they release, but they do get into a route concept, which, again, keeps those flat defenders at home, doesn't allow them to sink on vertical routes. And so Brady's doing a very good job of sort of getting into those five-receiver route concepts, but still helping in protection. So, And the other thing that I love about his offense is, I talk about this a lot, the ways the offensive play callers stress a defense from sideline to sideline, from line of scrimmage to end zone. You know, he does that because you see him forcing you to cover ground, forcing you to cover every inch downfield, and that stresses you. And eventually when you stress a defense in a secondary enough, particularly a bad one like New Orleans, like Atlanta, you're going to hit on some plays, and I think we'll see that tonight. Yep. Uh, Patriots at Bills, we got a lot to unpack here. Oh, boy. Let's talk about both quarterbacks. And I want to start with Josh Allen and just get this out of the way because I think Cam's going to be a longer discussion. Um. Two games in which he, Josh Allen really struggled against late secondary switches, and we've talked about this. Um, and against the Jets last week, Brian Dable, who was doing a brilliant job of scheming Josh up against man coverage, against zone, he turned into Kellen Moore. He had three deep attempts 
and one deep completion against the Jets. And that was a 38-yarder to Tyler Croft where a cornerback – and I swear to God, I didn't know this guy existed. Bless Juan Austin got lost in cover. He got lost in the supermarket, to quote Joe Strummer, uh, between the deep guy who was Croft and the sort of flat guy. And there was no one underneath, you know, lack, lack of fundamentals in a Greg Williams defense, go figure. Right. Um, but this is, this is kind of the standard, it seems to me to be the standard thing you do for a young quarterback, which is smart. I'm not, I'm not criticizing what the Bills are doing here. Your quarterback is – he's got trouble against these coverage switches. So, all of a sudden, Josh Allen is captain checkdown. And against a Patriots pass defense that has not – outside of J.C. Jackson, who is a top-five corner in the league as far as I'm concerned, would be a CB1 anywhere else. Um, this Patriots pass defense is not playing particularly well. It's not. And J.C. Jackson might be a CB1 come next week. Again, back to the yeah, – true. <laughs> yeah, he might be a CB1 everywhere. True. This is a Patriots defense that has struggled. You saw it last week against San Francisco. You've seen it in weeks past against even, you know, Denver, even though they didn't get the ball into the end zone. You know, Drew Locke made some throws in that game, made some reads in that game. The question sort of becomes – does Bill Belichick get out of his comfort zone? We all know Bill Belichick loves cover one, loves to play man, trusts his guys. Does he get out of that and play more zone, as we've seen, give trouble to Josh Allen? Does he rely on sort of cover one cut, cover one cross, still playing cover one, but then bringing robbers down to take crossers away? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they've given Josh Allen some struggles in the past. That, that first game between these two teams last year, when Allen went down after throwing another interception to get his bell run, Patriots defenders said, look, we were worried when Matt Barkley came in, you know, because we were worried about what he could do with Bass, which stands out as one of the more brutal assessments from an opposing defense I've heard in a long time. That's kind of what – If somebody said that about me, I'd have to, like, stay in bed for a week. No, that's, that's a big L to take as an NFL quarterback. Oof. I mean, but I think the bigger issue, and I know we're going to get to it, is what's happening with the Patriots offense because yeah. it's – one, one thing, um, go, going back to Super Bowl 53, the Patriots, what they did to Jared Goff, it was, kind, it was very much that same thing. We're going to show you this, then we're yeah. going to do that. And I think at that point they played a little more zone. But you can – I mean, we, we've talked about Josh Allen before. It's, oh, he – you know, against zone he struggles this and that. You can do coverage switches just as easily in man. So it's not like they have to, you know, change your whole game plan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of showing him too high – then spitting it to cover one robber, cover cover one cross, cutting all that stuff, and just bringing that guy down and taking away that cross where he wants to go with the football. He's throwing crossing routes extremely well this year, particularly against man. But you're going to have to look off that. You know, if you see Beasley coming across against Jonathan Jones, but Devin McCourty's dropping down or, you know, Kyle Duggar's dropping down or somebody else is dropping down, you're not going to want to go there. And anytime you can get Josh Allen to try to work to his second or to his third read, that's when you're going to have success as a defense. When you let him hit his first read, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. So um, let's talk about Cam Newton. I think one of the passes he's waiting to throw, he's still waiting to throw a few days. Yes. Uh, he is not. And you um, will link to it in the piece. You did a great 10 minute video breakdown of Cam's missed opportunities. And there, there are certain quarterbacks who throw their receivers closed and it's, you know, it's what you never want to hear about yourself. And I think that that's, that's kind of where Cam is. Yeah. I mean, that, 
Tony Dungy on Sunday night said that Bill Belichick's great at fixing a team in short order, but there's a lot to fix right now with this Patriots offense. There's no silver bullet. A lot of people say, well, he doesn't have weapons. Guys are getting open. Yeah. A lot of people say, well, you know, the offensive line has had struggles. Yeah, but there are also times when he's had three or four seconds and the ball should be out and guys are open and he hasn't pulled the trigger. There are also moments where his mechanics have failed him, and now Cam was never the cleanest mechanically sound quarterback. But, you know, I've said before, mechanics don't matter until they matter. Right now they're mattering for Cam because he's missing on throws as a result. By the way, everything you just said about Cam Newton, you could also say about Phillip Rivers this year. Every single thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're very similar right now in how they're playing and struggling. Um, the, The biggest thing, though, is the indecisiveness and the hesitation and the failure to make throws when the opportunities present themselves. Because, you know, even on some of the plays that, not the interceptions, you know, but even some of the throws that were check downs, he had opportunities, but he didn't take them. And that's something that can't get fixed in a week. If it was, we just need to call these kinds of routes, okay, that can get fixed in a week. If it was, we just need our left tackle to block better, that can get fixed in a week. If it was, we need a guy to get open, that can get fixed with a trade. It's not that. It's unless, deep- unless you're Baker Mayfield, which we'll also get to later. Baker Mayfield, which we'll talk about. But it's deeper stuff right now with Cam. It can't get fixed overnight. There are no silver bullets right now available to them. And maybe they win on a muddy track on Sunday. But even then, I still won't be buying into this team. No. Hard, hard to do. Um, Tredavious White, I mean, I'm, I'm not – it's funny because last year, the two best cornerbacks in the league were Stephon Gilmore and Tredavious White. And I know Tredavious is dealing with a back injury, and, and, and that's affected his game. But um, – it's it's an interesting week for two quarterbacks with a lot of problems to be facing these particular pass defenses, which are more vulnerable than they have been. Yeah, I'll put it that way. Definitely. Um, Titans at Bengals, and obviously the Bengals have no pass rush because they just traded a lot of it to Seattle. Um, and I, it's funny. I did a, a tape piece on Dunlap, and I'm like, why were you reducing his reps when he was maybe your best defensive player? Oh, it's the Bengals. Okay. Don't know. Uh, defense could keep, keep Tennessee from a Super Bowl run. I think we're all there with that. So this is interesting against the Steelers, and I think it may be an issue of a function of quick pressure from Pittsburgh, which you're going to get. Ryan Tannehill, the league's most effective play-action quarterback, had seven play-action attempts against the Steelers. That that it, I saw that stat, and I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Now the Bengals are not going to bring it that way, but what did you see from Tannehill in that game? Well, I think you know, as we talked about last week with Baker, a lot of this is a function of Pittsburgh's defense because Pittsburgh's defense is really good, and they are built right now to win games, and they might be one of, if not the best team in the AFC right now. Um, so a lot of it is you probably know, the best team in the NFL, honestly. I, I, I wouldn't put anyone above them as you did not in your power rankings. Yeah. Um, but I do think a lot of that is more a function of Pittsburgh than anything else. I think Tannehill in this offense is going to be fine. The bigger questions are on the defensive side of the ball, you know, as we've alluded to. Um, what's interesting about watching that game, though, was seeing how, you know, Pittsburgh and Ben Roethlisberger, they went for the kill shot. It didn't work out. But that's a decision that I would defend until I'm blue in the face. You know, that throw to Juju Smith in, in the end zone, I think it was the right readers, the right decision. You know, as for Tannehill, though, I, I do think it's more a function of they were getting after you. You had to get the ball out of you quick. A lot of those play-action designs in Arthur Smith's offense, they take a little time to develop. And if you don't think you can protect for two, two-and-a-half seconds 
against this Pittsburgh defense, you're not going to call those designs. You're going to rely on different stuff. And I think that's well, what and you don't, and you're turning your back to the defense. You don't want your quarterback to turn his back to the defense at 1.3 seconds and then turn around at 1.8. He's got 14 guys in his face, which against the Steelers is an extremely likely proposition. And it's a recipe for disaster. Just ask Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Titans defense, as I said, no pass rush, slow cornerbacks, bad combination. Uh, let's talk about Mr. Mayfield because last week against the Bengals, and this, I, I wrote about it, and then I wrote about it again because that was one of the more remarkable turnarounds I've seen in one week from any quarterback recently. And yes, you're going from the Steelers to the Bengals, and that helps, um, as Ryan Tannehill's about to find out. Yeah. But Mayfield had thrown six touchdowns and five interceptions from the pocket before that Bengals game. All five of his touchdown passes came from the pocket. And again, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of betwixt and between in a, in quarterback evaluation. Yes. He's playing against a, a defense that is not as effective, but you have to then isolate the quarterback's traits and characteristics. Right. And what I saw from Mayfield was he wasn't playing fast and too fast in the pocket anymore. He was yeah. decisive. He was calm in the pocket. His lower body mechanics, when quarterbacks play frantic to me, I see a lot of lower body indecision. Like the, what I, the way I put it is his lower half and his upper half are having an argument. Yeah. And I did not see that. Something in Baker, and this was also, by the way, a really nicely designed Kevin Stefanski offense. Whole oh. bunch of tight end involvement multiple tight end packages. He's putting different personnel stuff out there. Play action. This to me was the ultimate distillation of what that offense is supposed to, what that passing game is supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're a Browns fan, this is the game you were hoping for. Yeah. You know, the tight ends, Najoku, Harrison Bryant, from them, um, play action, you know, if they're, like I said last week, if they're in that sort of positive game script type of scenario where it's a one-score game, neutral game, whatever, you could run that offense. They're not good enough for Baker right now, at least, to throw themselves back into games. But from Baker, though, you saw him reading and deciphering leverage. You saw him calm in the pocket. You saw him climb the pocket. He wasn't vacated and panicking and seeking out chaos, which is oftentimes which is what he has done, and it's destroyed him. And so this was a very positive development. It does come against the Bengals, but like you said, it is so right. You have to isolate the traits and the decisions away from the uh, the guys you're going against. You have to remember that those guys are getting paid too. They're in the NFL. They're good at what they do. Um, others are better, obviously. But this was a good game from Baker. And I, I think this is the kind of opportunity, um, the, in the kind of game, kind of performance you wanted to see from him. I don't think it's false hope. I think there's reason to hope again if you're a Browns fan. Obviously, Odelfin is going to hurt. Maybe they do make a move for a receiver like we talked about. But this is the Baker you want to see going forward. And maybe it's a sign that that offense is starting to click in his mind, which would be huge. Well, we could see it again because the Browns are facing the Raiders and John Gruden is making all sorts of noises about, hey, maybe we need different players. Never a good sign. Never. Um, I will say this about Derek Carr, um, and I, I alluded to it. Might be a top five quarterback right now, especially with the deep ball. And this is a remarkable transformation. Um, I've I've done some pretty extensive tape work on him the last couple weeks because it's really stood out. And he was, I I mentioned it a little bit on the podcast last week, he was cutlering on deep throws last year, flat-footed, 
no clue what the hell he was doing. He was just hoping that his arm would make it happen. Yeah. And now he is completely, he's, he's bought into that, you know, and when you have a rugs that helps, but you know, he's got Waller, he's got, and he's just, he's running that offense at peak efficiency. If yeah. the Raiders had half a defense, uh, they would be a real problem for the rest of the league. Yeah, and look, what did they put up last week against a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense? Yeah, but by the way, the Buccaneers defense that had made Aaron Rodgers look like Ben DiNucci, and all of a sudden, we're going to just throw the no, Ben DiNucci references out. Pointing that one out, like you are, Doug, and it makes a ton of sense. Like Derek Carr comes in and it's like, ooh, this is interesting. Yeah, most weeks that's probably enough to get it done. It's just they ran into a buzzsaw because their defense is bad and Tom Brady's playing like the Tom Brady of old. Yeah. Um, Carr's been great, um, and I do think the vertical stuff helps. Hey, just like we talked about last week, now you got to play cover two. You've got to keep safeties deep. That opens up the stuff underneath, which is where Gruden wants that offense to be anyway. Creates opportunities for yardage after the catch. Um, and Carr has been a top seven you know, quarterback in this league right now. And he was almost there last year. It's just in this era, sometimes we focus too much on air yards and intended air yards, and there might be some, you know, reason to do that. But he's even notching that number up a bit this year um, because of what he's done. So I think he's been great. I think that offense is great. They need help on defense. Maybe it comes after the football. And it's funny, John Gruden was taking shots at pro football focus. Uh, they're not reading it. Well, if you look at PFF stats, I mean, they actually rate him pretty hot because they – you know, the, not the grades, but the stats. But yeah. he's been a good deep thrower for a long time. Um, yeah, that that's an interesting game. Um, Vikings at Packers. Can Yannick and Gakwe play quarterback? Yeah, I mean, they, they, here's the problem: you now have extremely pissed off Aaron Rodgers against a really bad pass defense, which is going to put Kirk Cousins in a position where he has to make big time throws. And that's not what you want. No. No. I mean, they're like I just said with the Browns, they're that positive game script team that needs to be in that kind of situation. Kirk Cousins is just it, – it's a problem. It's a big problem right now for Minnesota, and it's one that they can't fix. And they have become sellers. Um, the one thing that they need to sell, they can't. And now you've got Aaron Rodgers going against a bad pass defense. And Devontae Adams working against rookie corners is just a nightmare scenario if you're a Vikings fan. Can Minnesota win? I mean, sure. Anything can happen. Would I bet on it? Absolutely not. No. Uh, Colts at Lions. This is an interesting – Lions are playing a bit more zone these days to de-subject. Yeah. Um, but in zone co- – this is, this is the movable, extremely movable force against the entirely, you know, resistible object or whatever. Uh, Phillip Rivers against zone coverage this season, one touchdown, four interceptions. Um, he loses his head in middle of the field close coverage. Yeah. And he thinks he has one-on-one matchups to the boundary when he doesn't. Uh, it's, it's very cam. And we know with, with Rivers, you're going to get both sides of the equation. Um, the Lions have allowed four touchdowns and one interception in zone coverage this year. It's not like they're any better with man. Um, I just thought I'd mention that because there's a, oh, the Lions are playing more zone and they should trade for a pass rusher, which they did. Right, because they could be a playoff team. It's like, guys, they're not good in zone coverage either. I'm just saying. Yeah, it, it, this is a fascinating matchup. I don't think a lot of people had the Lions as buyers of the deadline when this season sort of began, but they've made themselves into buyers um, because they've had a nice little run. 
But it's come against teams like Atlanta. I mean, are we really buying in right now? And maybe we should, maybe not. And that was one of those win probability games where you just throw up your hands and... Right. And Matthew Stafford is doing some Matthew Stafford things, and that's great. You know, but I do think the bigger storyline here is Philip Rivers. Um, you know, I mean, are we, are we kind of saying the same things about Philip Rivers that we always have, or is there anything that you've seen that's different? I mean, I, I think... What I'm seeing this year is something that I was a blind spot for me this offseason, which was the arm strength. I think it has become an issue for him. He's pushing the ball. He is pushing the ball a lot. And when, he, when you think you have those one-on-one matchups on the boundary and you think you can take advantage of it, but it doesn't quite happen for you, and part of it is because of a lack of velocity and an inability to really push the ball downfield, that's a bad combination, you know, because it's – you know, look, I'm an older guy. Like, there are some things now that the body just doesn't want to do anymore. Um, and I've accepted that. It's why you had to stretch before the podcast, right? That's why I had to crack my back a couple of times before a podcast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, don't get old, kids. It's, it's not fun. But Rivers' mind hasn't caught up with what his body can't do anymore. Yeah. And I think that's part of the issue. He thinks I think he, that was true last season, by the way. I think it was. I just refused to see it. I remember when, you know, I wrote – this offseason, oh, maybe Rivers could go to Tampa Bay. And our good buddy Michael Kiss DMs me. He's like, are you okay? Are you healthy? <laughs> are you sick? Because you stretch before this podcast for this article. He can't throw the ball anymore. And I started looking. I'm like, yeah, maybe that was a dumb call by me. But, yeah, it was a blind spot. But those issues were there. They're still there. And we thought that sort of in Frank Reich's, like, more West Coast offense, it would get worked out. Well, Teams can take that stuff away, run some middle-of-the-field coverage, like you said, where he's been struggling, bring that safety down, take that underneath stuff away, force him to the boundaries. It's the old Tom Brady playbook from Rex Ryan, and he can't hit on those throws right now. Good point. Uh, Chiefs at Jets, I'm just going to throw – I mean <laughs> – Yeah, exactly. I'm going to throw this stat out there. Uh, and I had a guy arguing with me, you know, it, it's not automatic that players are better when they leave Adam Gase. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, Le'Veon Bell. In his debut for the Chiefs, had two runs of 15 yards or more. They were both 16-yard runs. In his debut, I believe he had six carries. In a year and a half with the New York Jets, Le'Veon Bell had two carries of 15 yards or more. I that's all I have to say. Yeah. Been- Adam Gase. Oh my God! What the hell are you people doing? Why? Why is this taking so long? I don't know. Like, are they? Like. It's a tank. I don't, I, I don't know. Or is it a tank situation where they're like, look, we could fire, but we might start winning games, and we're not going to get Trevor Lawrence if we fire him and start winning games. So they don't want to be the Eagles back when they – because the reason they threw snowballs at Santa Claus way back when is the Eagles started winning games late in that season, and they lost out on drafting O.J. Simpson. Um, yeah. So maybe they're really – Maybe. Uh, Rams at Dolphins, this is obviously interesting, and I want to turn it over to you. How do we think Chan Gailey will scheme things up for Tua against this particular zone-heavy, pressure-with-four-heavy, Leonard Floyd, by the way, playing his ass off the last couple of, day, of weeks? Um, how do you think Chan Gailey can best set Tua up for success against not a good defense, but this particular defense? Yeah, and I think it sort of fits into what we expected when they hired Chan Gailey, who brought the spread and does a lot of RPO stuff. And you're going to get a lot of RPO stuff because zone-heavy teams, a little easier to run some of those RPO looks when the linebacker doesn't have a man responsibility. He's just reacting, and then you react to his reaction. 
um, which is to his game. You know, that's what he ran at Alabama. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of designs to get the ball out of his hand quickly to neutralize that pass rush. You're going to see a lot of smoke screens, tunnel screens, get the ball out of his hand. Because um, you want to really throw against that secondary. You don't want to run against Aaron Donald, which we could go down that road. But we don't. <laughs> oh, let's, let's not. We, we Let's just, you know, the guy's already dead. Let him die. <laughs> That's what you want to do. You, you want to... You know, make the decisions easy because if you're forcing Tua to sort of read and decipher the zone coverages, I think that plays to what the Rams want to do because it's going to, you know, slow his decision process and it's going to give Donald and Floyd a chance to get home. I think you want to give him some, you know, one read type play, some RPO type stuff, some screens, some tunnels and all those things to get the ball out of his hands, manufacture quick decisions for him, which is a smart thing to do for a rookie quarterback anyway especially a smart thing to do for a rookie quarterback making his first start. Uh, let's go to Chargers at Broncos. If I were to tell you, Mark Schofield, that I thought the two and four Chargers were a better team than the five and two Bears, what would you say? I would say that we're probably in agreement. I mean, which team do you trust more right now? Well, I'm going to throw you their losses real quick. This is uh, 23 to 20 against the Chiefs, 21 to 16 against the Panthers, 38 to 31 against the Buccaneers, 30 to 27 against the Saints. That's four good teams. All one games of less than a touchdown. Um, this I mean, team could easily be four and two when we're talking about them as playoff contenders. Yeah, if if we did quality losses in the National Football League like we sometimes do in college sports. Show me a resume that has better quality losses than what the Chargers have right now. And their defense is good, even though we don't talk about it a ton. And Justin Herbert, Ugh. like I'm, it, I'm taking the L right now. I'm I'm just I'm taking the L, the big forty-eight point font L. I completely got this. This is my biggest miss since Aaron Curry. It is such a great example of putting a quarterback in a position to be successful. It really is. Because, you know, Pep Hamilton has done a great job with them. Their offensive coordinator um, has done a great job with them. They're letting them push the ball downfield because that was his strength. I mean, I remember writing this. Like, if he can get into an offense that lets him push the ball downfield, some spread stuff with vertical elements, he's going to be fine. You know, if you try to force him to be a West Coast, you know, processing quarterback like Drew Brees, that's where you're going to struggle. They've put him in a position to be successful. It's such a great job of quarterback development from the Chargers. He's been a revelation. You know, and I said last week, I've talked to people in the Pac-12 where they're like, we didn't see this on film. Like, we didn't see this guy at all. But he's been so much fun to watch. So, yeah, if you're asking me which team is a better team right now, the Bears or the Chargers, it's the Chargers. And I don't think it's particularly close. Speaking of the Bears, uh they are welcoming the Saints into Soldier Field. If they can't, if Nick Foles can't, because I'll say this, Jalen Ramsey should send Nick Foles a gift basket because if the Bears had a functional quarterback in that game, oh. Ramsey would have been. We would be talking about Jalen Ramsey, and I like Jalen Ramsey. They've moved him to kind of that star, which he did really – that might have been his best position in college. So uh, nice job by their defensive, their defensive staff and sort of expanding his role. That that movable chess piece, which he was so I, I remember he was my number one player in that draft class, and I, I watched him play star like geez he's good at that, and I I compared him to I think I compared him to Charles Woodson, um, but if 
So anyway, if Nick Foles can't get it done against this secondary, I mean, what do you do? I, they they are now you're five and three and you're just you know you're you're spilling oil all over the place and you you and, might have to go get another quarterback. And what's interesting is a lot of Bears fans before the season started said, "Look, you know we could we could start six and zero because of the way our schedule sets up." And it's like true, but now the meat of your schedule comes into play because you get the Saints this week and that's a bad secondary, you know, bad safety play, bad corner play, bad defense. If you can't get it done, then you get Tennessee. Yeah, you probably beat Minnesota in a couple weeks, uh, but then you get the Packers. Then you get the Lions, who look to be getting better right now. Houston, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. And after that, you get the Packers again to close out the season. I mean, that's tough. This is a team that could be, you know, they're what five and two right now. They could be five and five, five and six, five and seven before we know it. And I just, I. I mean, I know Foles has had his great moments, obviously. I I mean, that's – what I, I saw against the Rams, that's benchable. That's You don't want that guy out there. That's, no. That that guy's going to kill your team. Yeah. I, I think sort of the deeper question here is, has it been a quarterback problem or has it been a Matt Nagy problem? Yes. And I, think we're I, think still, the, I think the answer is yes. It's a Matt Nagy problem because there's – a stubbornness to his play calling and his game scripts that I don't understand. And I look, I get it's a passing league, and I get that you've got issues up front, and maybe you don't think you can block plays up, and that the whole Brian Greasy thing, you know, protection and things like that with Nick Foles and that comment, whatever. This is a common theme to the Chicago Bears offense for the past three years. So it's not just Mitch Trubisky. It's not Nick Foles. Like, it, it's Matt Nagy. Like, his whole, like, BU on his play call sheet, he might need to change that to be somebody else. Maybe he should be Eric the Enemy. Oh! Yes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I – and I, knowing what I know about how the NFL works, if Matt Nagy implodes, I really hope teams don't use that against Eric the Enemy as a former Andy Reid assistant, but I – Right. That. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Don't do it. Boy. Don't do it. Okay. Uh, that's a whole other podcast, which we'll probably yep. have season. San Francisco at Seattle. 49ers went with the 1973 Dolphins playbook against the Patriots. Worked. Um, boy, that run. That, uh, Lake and Tomlinson, their left guard being secret superstars. And have, did you see that Jamichael Hasty 20-yard run? Unfortunately, I did. He, Yeah, Lawrence Guy went into Tomlinson's gap and – Tomlinson switched shoulders on him on outside. So it was one of the more preposterous guard blocks. That, um, that was as good a Kyle Shanahan run game as I've seen. And I've seen a lot of really good run games from him. He, he might be the best run designer in the NFL. Uh, the problem is against Russell Wilson, you're probably going to have to open it up a little bit. And I, I gave Robert Sala full marks, by the way. I, uh, Jamar Taylor made superstars this week. Jason Verrett, I mean, both of their safeties were out. They're still playing incredible ball. I think Sala might – this keeps up. He's going to get himself a head coaching job in 2021. Um, but against this offense, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, uh, this might be a DJ Dallas game with all the running back injuries. but the one problem I see here for Kyle Shanahan is you may have to put the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands and he's proven 
since last year's playoffs, that's not really what he wants to do. No, it's not what he wants to do. It's not, you know, where they're at their best. They're at their best when he can go to his first or his second read. Like, and if you take that away, he's like a rookie quarterback. Like, he's great when he knows where he's going with a football pre-snap or shortly after the snap. But when you take that stuff away, you're going to be in trouble. Um, the, the curious element to me is how much Shanahan uses motion this week. He did such a great job using motion against New England. Like, they had guys running. They had guys chasing. I saw a play with pre-snap motion where, on a simple switch vertical concept, curl wheel, two Patriots players covered the curl, which is something I don't usually see. Wow. Defense. And the wheel route was wide open, Doug. And when you're forcing breakdowns like that from a Bill Belichick defense, you're doing something. So Shanahan is good. We alluded to it earlier, the Seattle defense, not great. Not great. So there are going to be some opportunities. But if this turns into a shootout, which guy are you betting on? Wilson or Garoppolo? I'm I'm betting against Wilson 11 times out of 10, no matter how bad Seattle's defense is, because Russell Wilson against any defense. I mean, it, he threw five touchdowns against the Patriots in man coverage. Yep. Uh, that that I mean, you're. I don't know if the entire NFL threw five touchdowns against the Patriots in man coverage last year. No, they didn't. I mean, the the question though becomes like, if you're solid, do you you know play man coverage? Probably not. You play more zone. But how does that set up against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on Yankee on Mills? Like well, the Cardinals are on a bye this week, so let's talk about this because you wrote about the 065 defense last week, and then uh, Vance Joseph used it to great effect in overtime pressure, pressure coverage. So go into that a little bit. Yeah, because you know the 065, um, we're seeing teams use some weird sub packages. You know, we talked about it last week with Tampa Bay 146155 and Dominic and Sue. Um, I'm actually working on something on the Giants where they're doing some one four six one three seven stuff. We've seen a lot more of this in the league, but this zero six five, when we talked about it last week, they were using it with pressure from different areas, but they stuck to this game plan against Russell Wilson, which might have been by design to keep him in the pocket. Where when they got pressure with it, it was the two outside guys to each side. The outside edge defender and then a defensive back, Bruda Baker, Byron Murphy, coming off the edges to keep him in the pocket. And they got home twice using that. Once when Bruda Baker flushed him and he had to throw it away, the other with a big sack at overtime. And then so by that point, when they used it one more time, that going to the well an extra time, Wilson tried to get the ball out of his hands so quickly. And that's when Isaiah Simmons made his first huge NFL play because he just got his size, length, and athleticism into a throwing lane. And so when you confuse Wilson on one of those, because the first one, the sack and the pressure came from the strong side, you know? And so we switched the protection on the next example to the strong side, and that's when he gets sacked from the opposite side. Um, so he was getting confused by a pre-snap. He got confused by a post-snap on the interception. And when you bait Russell Wilson into making mistakes like that, pre-snap and post-snap, you've done your job as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, Russell said later he was looking for the hot on that third one because he just expected it. And yeah. it's a remarkable thing to confuse a guy who's playing at that level. So maybe Salah dials up some mug blitzes. Uh, certainly in Fred Warner, he's got an athlete who, you know, he might not be Isaiah Simmons' athletic profile, but the guy's proven he can do this. We need to start talking about Fred Warner as one of the best linebackers in the league. Thank you. Yes, we do. Yeah, that happened uh, last year, too. So, uh, Tampa – oh, God, Dallas at Philadelphia. 
You watch any Ben DiNucci tape? That's what I have in my notes. We can just move on. Yeah, I mean, he can make some throws. The problem is, can they protect him? And I don't think they can. And if there's a strength on this Philadelphia defense, it's their defensive front. And so, look, if if Dallas somehow wins this game, I will be stunned. Um, I, I think everything screams that Philadelphia wins this thing and takes a commanded one-game lead in the woeful NFC East. Ugh. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll just move on. Uh, speaking of the NFC East, Tampa Bay at Giants. Ouch. Um, yeah. Giants have a COVID issues, by the way. Uh, yeah, offensive line problems, which, you know, when you have offensive line problems to begin with, and now you've got to isolate some of your offensive linemen because and that's going to be a big story because we saw after the Thursday night game, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, out and about, no masks. That's going to be an issue. Fun. Yeah. Uh, Giants defense is better than people think, but against this version of Tom Brady. And then Probably. Daniel Jones against Todd Bowles. Nightmare scenario. Even before any offensive line issues, I cannot think of a worse mismatch this week. Jones under pressure this season, 40 of 85, 420 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, and he's not seen a defense like this. He's not seen a defense like remotely like this. Here's your over-under, Doug. I'm going to need a bet from you. Over, under on strip sacks of Daniel Jones, 1.5. Oh, over? Yeah. I take three. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Jones, Jones. Well, if you watch what Devin White did, and I would have put him in secret superstars, except I put him in the week before, and at this point he's not a secret. I mean, if he's right. a, Devin White is a secret, you're not watching football. Um and if you if he is a secret, you need to watch what he did against the Raiders. Three sacks, um, and they're bringing him from you know from from wheel depth. They're bringing him from the edge. They're mugging him up the middle. I mean, Todd Bowles, and, and this this would be a game for Todd Bowles to like put in the most diabolical possible stuff, like the stuff the NFs that the not safe for work stuff at the back of his playbook, like, you know, against a normally functional offense, we would never try this, but what the hell, let's give it a shot. Like a, you know, an 11 defense. We're going to play like what's, what's after dollar, like the, the, the $10 defense with 11 defensive backs on the field. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, this, this game screams blowout. Um, I think Todd Bowles has done such a great job this year. Is there a better linebacker tandem than Levante David and Devin White right now? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. They're so good. And so they're athletic. They're versatile. They can confuse you schematically. That just screams just nightmare scenario for the Giants. Yep. Save this one for last because it is the classic. It's Steelers-Ravens week. And I think we talked a lot about the Steelers, both on offense and defense. The – What's interesting to me, and it goes back to the Titans game where they showed Lamar stuff he had not seen before, and Lamar did not respond well. Yeah. Um, teams are stacking the box. They're daring Lamar to throw. And so far, you know, they're blitzing him more. It's, they're stacking the box to blitz, and they're stacking the box to stop the run. And whenever a team does that, they're establishing the, the proverbial line in the stand. Okay, quarterback, you make us stop doing this, or we're going to keep I, doing this. If you ask the Steelers to stack the box against you, you're going to lose by 50 points. This could be a bad matchup for Baltimore. Um, really particularly bad. 
as we talked about with the t- Tennessee Titans offense, right, how they got away from play action and the stuff that they do because you're worried about protecting Ryan Tannehill and turning it back to the defense, so many of Baltimore's route concepts are slower developing vertical route concepts that take a while to come together. He had the, like, the second or third fewest three-step drops last season, Lamar did. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all 5-7, you know, hit that, hit that fifth or seventh step, back it out, hit the vertical. If you hit the vertical against this defense, you're going to die. Yeah. So it, it, it's a ba- it has the feeling of that matchup last week between Cleveland and Pittsburgh where it was just a bad matchup for Cleveland. This has that feeling. Now, obviously, Baltimore's defense can do some things, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not great. You know, they've been good, but not great. Um, I think they got problems with their safeties and that's not good for For a lot of those three by one concepts where (laughs) yeah, take the the matchup you like on the single receiver side. Maybe you get a cheap one. If not, you work in a concept. Roethlisberger will do a good job of moving those safeties with his eyes. This feels to me like a Pittsburgh win. And perhaps by the way, if Aaron Rodgers isn't the best ex ISO thrower in the NFL, Ben Roethlisberger is. Yeah. And that's why he's getting the ball out of, what, 2.2 seconds right now? It's such a great offense for Roethlisberger right now. I heard I had somebody compare him to a point guard, and I think that's perfect. He's just distributing the ball right now. It's not the Roethlisberger of old where he's a statue in the pocket. The ball's coming to him, and he's getting it out. Um, also sets up poorly for Baltimore um, because of some of their issues in the secondary. This feels like a Pittsburgh win going away to me. I don't know about you. Um. I think it's a it's a it's a really big test for Greg Roman and it's Baltimore's offensive coordinator who I, I think is a genius. Yeah. Um, and it's a really big test for Lamar because this is a guy who you know unanimous NFL MVP. Uh, I got no problem with that. But the Titans started a process. They started a snowball that is still rolling, and Lamar has not yet answered it to the extent. I would have expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that they have had a bye week to get ready for this, um, maybe we see some different elements to their offense, maybe. Um, but if it's the offense we saw and the Lamar we saw going into their bye week, I don't know. Well, it's like having a bye week against like early Mike Tyson. Uh, yep. You have an extra week to think about how you're going to get your ass kicked. And I, I guess that's good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Well, Mark, as always, uh, awesome insight from you. Uh, We're going to have this up in a bit. Hope you all enjoy it, and we'll talk next week. Good stuff.